Now, what happens in those times when it doesn't feel like God is near us? When we feel like we're in the wilderness, when we feel like God has forsaken us, and we'll all experience those things at times, won't we? Maybe some of us are right now in this season of our lives. You know, you are all alone. Nobody loves you. You've been rejected. This is where we need to make a choice of whether we're going to trust feelings or facts. Emotions, feelings, they're good. They're gifts of God for us. But we also need to know that they're fallen, they're warped, they're damaged because of the fall. And so because of that, we need to vet our feelings through the lens of God's truth. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Courage and was based on Joshua 1. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. Well, it is our time. What will we do with the one and only life that God has entrusted to us? It's our time, church. And throughout the 2,000 years since Jesus, it's often been in the midst of the most challenging seasons, whether it's persecution or pandemics or poverty or injustice that the church has historically shined the brightest and been a beautiful witness for Jesus. But the church in this time, some aspects is shining a beautiful light and in some aspects is sending a lot of mixed messages and a lot of warped caricatures of who Jesus is. I don't want people to reject a caricature that's not really Jesus. So it's our time, but our time means we'll have to have courage, won't we? We'll have to have courage so that when there's those temptations, we'll be faithful even when it's costly, even when it's challenging. It means we'll need to have courage to love each other the way Jesus loves us. We'll need to have courage to reach out and love the marginalized the way that we see Jesus reaching out to the marginalized throughout the Gospels. It means we'll need to have courage to work toward justice, to help our neighbors, our community, and the world uh, taste and see on earth as it is in heaven, just a little bit of that shalom of God and have a foretaste of who God really is and what's to come in eternity. Uh, We'll need to have courage to share generously because it means we'll have to live counterculturally and we'll have to make some adjustments to our lifestyle in order to become more generous with a generation that has more resources than any generation could have ever imagined in human history. It's going to take courage for us to redefine who Jesus is in our neighbors, our community, and among the world who are rejecting a lot of warped portraits of who Jesus is. But here's the challenge. Fear can immobilize us, can't it? We've all had times in our lives when we felt immobilized because of fear. We need courage. We're in our Built to Last sermon series, and we're exploring how we can build a faith that will guide us today and will last for a lifetime. It won't flame out, but a faith that will last a lifetime and, and will hear, well done, good and faithful servant in eternity. So this morning's message is on the theme of courage. Uh, will you join me in Joshua chapter 1? In your Bibles, it's on page 208, or cue up your device. Those who are worshiping uh, online, uh, find Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 1. Uh, again, it's on page 208 in the Blue Bibles here in the house. Now, the context is Joshua is afraid. Isn't it amazing to think how many biblical characters we read? And they're not these sanitized saints who floated through life trusting God. They were real people like you and me who struggled with, with faith and doubt, fear and courage to honor God and the temptations in which they faced. So Joshua is afraid because God has called him to guide uh, God's covenant people into the promised land. And yet there's a problem. Moses is dead. He's always dependent upon Moses. And now he's called. It's his time to take a next step in trusting God. And so God knows that Joshua is afraid, and he doesn't chide Joshua. Joshua, what's the matter with you that you're afraid? Instead, God ministers to Joshua and shares with him really three reasons that he can have courage. So let's kind of listen into that and see how God speaks courage into our lives today. So Joshua chapter 1, join me in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to you. Now here's why Joshua is so afraid. First of all, Moses is dead. Moses had the courage to confront Pharaoh. He had the courage to speak truth and justice to power. And now he's gone. Moses had brought these enslaved people in Egypt out of slavery in the Exodus and brought them to Sinai. Moses had given God's law to the Hebrew people and through that to the world. Moses had led the Hebrew people through the wilderness for 40 years. Everyone had depended upon Moses. Matter of fact, a lot of times they grumbled against Moses. And now Moses is dead. And Joshua, I think he's ready to wet his pants. You know what I mean? I mean, Joshua is afraid. God, me. You're, you're. But it's his time. And it's the community of God's people's time to take a step in God's redemptive mission that would have an impact in the world and impact our lives today. And so now they're called to cross the river. Now let's Remember this, there's rumors of giants in the land. They've heard these rumors that the people in the land, oh, they're giants. And, and they're going to cross into a walled military outpost. Now let's remember, God didn't call them to go into some like urban city. They are taking a, a military outpost that had oppressed and caused tremendous wreckage to the surrounding people now for about 400 years. Uh, remember, these are people who, in the world's eyes, are still these runaway slaves out of Egypt. They've been living these uh, agrarian, uh, Bedouin lives in the wilderness. And now they're going to cross into this walled military outpost. And it's flood season. It's amazing how God chooses of all time flood season where the snow is melting down off of Mount Hermon and 9,200 feet high. And so the river is at its raging flood season. And we can see why Moses or why Joshua is afraid. He's like, God, are you kidding me? You want me to take a step of faith and, and lead these people? Look at all the barriers and the challenges. Well, we can probably relate, can't we? There's probably pharaohs in our lives. 
pharaohs that can cause us to become afraid and immobilized. There might be giants in the land. And isn't it amazing how, how things can grow into giants so easily in our minds when we're afraid? Or maybe like with Moses before and then Joshua, maybe there's people who doubt us. I think a lot of the people were murmuring, hey, Moses is gone. I don't know if we can do this with Joshua. Maybe we have people who doubt us. Maybe it's simply we've never been there before. God's calling us to, to places of obedience or, or, or serving or sacrificing or generosity or obeying God. And we're like, man, I've never been there before. And we can be afraid and immobilized. So here's three reasons that God gives to Joshua and through that to us of why we can have courage. And the first of those, we can have courage because of God's presence with us. Move down to verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, now I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's God's promise that he'll be present with his people. They'll never leave us nor forsake us. Oh, it feels like God has left us, doesn't it? It feels like God is in the rearview mirror sometimes for all of us. But here's God's promise. Now, I love the way in, in, in the Hebrew text, the way this is kind of poetically written in the Hebrew text, and we translate that into the languages of the world, is really insightful because notice the word leave. I will never leave you. It's a translation of the Hebrew word rafa, and it means relax. So it's God is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to relax in my attention to you, my focus to you, my commitment to you. And the next, uh, uh, the word forsake, I'll never leave you nor forsake you in verse 5, is a translation of the Hebrew word chazab, and it means to neglect. Here's what God's saying. I'm never going to rest to where you're out of my sight. I'm never going to sleep where I don't know what's going on with you. I'm, I'm never going to neglect you. Now, maybe those of us who are parents or we were you know, watching a child, grandparent, whatever, and we relaxed for just a minute, and that's when a child got hurt. Or that's when a child got lost. Now, I know this never happened to you, but only one time did I really lose our kids, okay? Now, fortunately, it was in Barnes & Noble, okay? Okay, so it was like, okay, you got doors, you got whatever else. But it, it's panic. I mean, it is absolute panic, and you're going aisle by aisle, and then, oh, there they are, right? You see, God is not human and finite and limited like we humans are. Uh, or maybe you've had a family member or a friend who's neglected you. And you know that pain. You know how much it hurts. It's like we're crying out for attention. We never have to do that with God. Because let's remember God is holy. And the word holy, the Hebrew word kadosh, means God is different. See, God is different from our limitations. Here's what's amazing. God can give 100% attention to 100% of people 100% of the time. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? And the reason is, I have a hard enough time paying attention to one person, right? But imagine God. See, we need to not limit God to our finite experience and trust, oh, God is infinite. God is holy. God is other. God is... The grandeur of God goes beyond. God give 100% attention to 100% of people 100% of the time. God is present with us. 
Now, what happens in those times when it doesn't feel like God is near us? When we feel like we're in the wilderness, when we feel like God has forsaken us, and we'll all experience those things at times, won't we? Maybe some of us are right now in this season of our lives. This is where we need to make a choice of whether we're going to trust feelings or facts. Emotions, feelings, they're good. They're gifts of God for us. But we also need to know that they're fallen, they're warped, they're damaged because of the fall. And so because of that, we need to vet our feelings through the lens of God's truth. And also not let Satan say, you know, you are all alone. Nobody loves you. You've been rejected. Remember when that happened when you were a kid? Remember what happened with your parents? Remember when that person dumped you, that bad breakup? That's how the world views you. And those times we just need to say, you know what, Satan, why don't you just leave and go somewhere else because this is God's truth. And God says, he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. We trust the facts of what God has communicated to us, even when our feelings might be betraying us. I pray that we'll stand on God's character and God's promises and we'll speak it into each other's lives. God is here, God is with us. Even when we feel guilt, even when we feel shame, even when we feel broken, even when we feel rejected. Amen? That is who God is. So we can have courage because God's promised His presence with us. The second thing, the reason we can have courage is because of God's promises for us. Move down to verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And now move to verse 7. Here's that word again, be strong and very courageous. Move to verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and, there's the word again, courageous. Courage, courage, courage. And they're enveloped, they're wrapped in God's promises. The promise is in verse 6, where God says, I'll be with you. Continuing in verse 6, the promise is, you will inherit this land. I haven't brought you, I didn't bring you out of slavery in Egypt covenant with you in Sinai, guide you through the wilderness for 40 years to bring you here and not fulfill my promises. God says the same thing to us in our exodus on the cross. God says, listen, Jesus didn't leave behind the glory, the privilege, the honor of heaven to become one of us and to sacrifice his life on the cross to rise, to overcome death, and secure the, eter- the promise of eternal life, deposit His Spirit within us so God's Spirit is always with us, to now relax, sleep, slumber, or now to neglect us. See, we can trust God based in the past of what God has done to help us to trust what we may not understand in the moment about what's happening. And so God's promises. God has promised that God is committed to us. So here's really the challenge for us. Will we settle settle for the comfort of the wilderness? See, the wilderness is familiar to us, isn't it? It's comfortable. We're often drawn to our past or drawn to the path of seeming in the moment least resistance when God is calling us to something more challenging to obey God, or maybe sometimes to live countercultural, or to love people who maybe our culture doesn't love, or to seek God's justice, or to live generously and sacrificially. Those can be challenging times. Will we settle just to stay in kind of the wilderness 
and just grow accustomed to living life in a fallen, depraved, damaged, wounded, bruised world? Or will we say, God, I'm going to take the step. I'm going to have the courage to trust you because you have promises for my life. And your promises never fail. Oh, sometimes they aren't in our time. But God is always on time, with God's time. And that's tough for us, isn't it? It's tough to wait, especially in a culture where everything's quick. You know, we put it in the microwave. We order it next day. We can travel wherever. We can order anything for dinner. And we're so accustomed to having things quickly that it's difficult for us to wait when we don't understand why God is calling us to wait or for us to have patience or for us to obey when we really don't fully understand all of what God is doing. It's difficult for us. But I pray we won't go back to or settle for the wilderness when God is calling us to take the next step. Matter of fact, when they cross into the Holy Land, I've always wondered this. You know, with the river, who, who took the first step and then God begins to dry up the river. You know what I mean? Right. You know, was it a priest? Was it Joshua? Was it some kid who said, come on, people, let's go? I mean, we don't know. But sometimes God says, put, put your foot in the water. Take a step in trusting me. So we can have courage because of God's presence with us. We can have courage because of God's promises for us. We can also have courage because of God's guidance each moment of our lives. Move down to verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so you may be successful wherever you go. Well, how in the world do we ever do that? Well, verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, this begins with a warning. And the warning is be careful to obey God. Be careful not to go to the left or to the right. That's a Hebrew colloquial, kind of a poetic way to say, don't drift to the left or the right. And we've all known people, and we've probably had times in our lives where we just took that little step to the left or the right. It's a little thing. It's not a big deal. It's kind of set, you know, the wilderness, and that's the way life is, and then it's easier to take the next step, right? And then, you know, the end kind of ruts in the road, and then we wake up someday, and we say, wow, what am I doing over here? And we've known people, or we've experienced that. And that's what this is saying. Don't, don't even take that first step to the left or to the right. When we do, here's the good news. See, the challenge is Satan will whisper to us, and our fallenness, our brokenness will whisper to us, oh, you see, you're no good. You, you, you're beyond. God, God can't love you now. And yet God says the good shepherd is pursuing us there and meeting us there and saying, come, come home. Come home by my grace. Come back home wherever we've gone astray. I've shared this with you before, but I'll probably share it every three or four years because this for me really um, kind of encapsulates for me, helps my mind to wrap around how important not compromising is. Um, Dr. Ruth Berenda teaches or taught for years at Cal Berkeley. And for um, a couple of years, she did an experiment, and then she uh, wrote it up in journal articles and then a book, and there's a, a, a video that you can watch. And, and it's, uh, she would take 10 students, and she'd bring them into a lecture hall, and there'd be three lines, and some would have arrows, whatever, and, and, and uh, uh, the people were simply asked, just point to the longest line. 
So most people are thinking, oh, this is one of those like visual things where the line do doesn't look as long, whatever. But what one person didn't know is nine of them were secretly prompted to raise their hand when the second longest line was pointed to. So in would walk the ten, the nine who know what's going on, and the one poor idiot who has no idea, okay? And they come into the classroom, and the proctor would point, and when the proctor would point to the second longest line, nine hands would go up. Now, ready for this? Three out of four times, 75%, the one person would look around and raise their hand, right? And sometimes if the longest line was pointed to first, then that person would raise their hand, and then raise their hand with the others. Now, I know you would never do that, right? No. But you see, we wrestle with that all the time, don't we? Because so often there can be such cultural pressures for us to raise our hands about things that, that God says, listen, God's not a taskmaster who says, oh, humans enjoy doing that, so I'm going to tell them no so I can frustrate them. God loves us and God knows, God knows what will help us to flourish and what can be damaging and wounding and lead to brokenness for us and the people in our lives. And sometimes we may not fully understand, but we need courage sometimes to swim like salmon against the stream. When I was a kid, my parents, all of life was education. Everywhere we'd go, everything we'd do, we'd stop at like the county courthouse and learn how that, you know, county's judicial system worked. And when we would go somewhere, we'd go to museums or we would go to like um, uh, these fish ladders, right? I mean, here we are on vacation. We're like, Dad, we just want to get to the beach. Like, well, there's this over here. And we, you know, it's like half, half the day is gone. But I look back now and what a great learning experience life was. And we would go to the fish ladders and we'd see the salmon, you know, jumping, battling, fight, to do whatever it takes to get upstream. By the way, if you're wrestling with, is there really a creator? Think about those salmon with their little pea brains, right? They, they go out to the ocean, whatever else, and then what happens? They know exactly when they turn. They know the exact route to come back, and they spawn. I'm like, man, that's, uh, that's pretty good design, isn't it? But um, the way they would battle upstream, sometimes you and I, need to battle against the stream. Now, I don't mean obnoxiously. I don't mean making a scene. I mean with love and respect and pursuing justice. Sometimes we have to like jump the fish ladders against whatever the, the, the dominant paradigm of our culture might be when it conflicts through a biblical lens with what God is calling us to. So how do we do this? Well, in verse 8, we read, meditate on God's Word. Now, this is a word in Psalm 1 last week that we ran into, uh, because the word meditate is the Hebrew word chagah, and literally, some of you might remember, but literally it is, um, or the etymology is for cattle chewing cud. So literally, it's like, be like cattle, bring it back up, isn't that gross? And like I said last week, we drink the milk, right? But it's like, and that's the portrait of kind of like keep ruminating, keep chewing on, keep, keep bringing back up God's Word, meditate on, have it become so saturated as part of our life that in those moments, remember what Jesus said the Holy Spirit's job is, one of them is, the job description, to remind us of everything Jesus has taught. 
and to guide us into all truth. So when we have God's Word living, dwelling within us, that, that's when the Holy Spirit has that resource to draw that up at just the right moment to guide us in whatever ways that God has called us. Whatever it takes to get God's truth within us, rather it's, uh, you, you know, we download um, Scripture that, that, that we listen to, rather we read it in the morning or lunch break or before bed or whatever like that, or rather we listen while we're commuting or, or one of the apps that sends us, you know, some verses every day, whatever it takes, whatever works for us to get Scripture within us. So here's the challenge. What are we chewing on in our minds? Because whatever's going on in our minds, that, that begins to, to shape the affections of our hearts. And that begins to navigate our wills, and our wills are what des- de- decide our actions, and our actions are who we are. And so it all backs up to the mind. So what's showing in the theater of our thoughts? If we went to mymind.com, wouldn't that be scary? We're going to choose three people today, and we're going to go to theirmind.com, and we're going to show everything that they're thinking right here, right? I think the place would be empty, right? I know I, I, I would be fleeing probably, right? But, but the truth is, whatever's going on in our minds, that, that's what shapes us the most. And so getting Scripture within us, you know, however it is, reading Scripture, listening to Scripture, part of a, a growth group, campus ministry, group of friends getting together, sermon. Uh, matter of fact, it was so cool because last night, um, FBC uh, college students had student-led worship. Uh, the hub was filled with stu- Saturday night, and there's college students, and they're gathering to worship, pray, and eat a lot of ice cream and just have a good time together. Okay, and so I, 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 I thanked the worship team before and then I just kind of snuck into the back part of it and just, just took it all in and I thought, this, this is just, and they were singing God's word to themselves and to each other. It, it was a beautiful thing. Whatever it takes for us to get God's truth within us. But I want you to notice something. This is a conditional promise. If God's truth is dwelling in us, then we have a much higher possibility of obeying God in, 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 in the moments. And then, if we're doing that, that's when we'll be prosperous and successful. By the way, successful doesn't necessarily mean we're going to drive a BMW and, and have a big car and have a PhD. Although, those might be good things. I don't know. But that's not God's primary agenda. Prosperous and successful means we're, 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 going, to pro- we're going to flourish spiritually. And we're going to be successful in the things that God most treasures which, by the way, is love and grace and justice and truth and hope. Amen? Amen. Preach it, sister. And so, it's a conditional promise. And so, what will our decisions be? I've watched two of the three episodes of a new Ken Burns PBS documentary. It's, it's the U.S. and the Holocaust. And it's actually last night, for whatever reason, I watched part of it. And it was, it's, it's too disturbing to watch before bed. But it's really been challenging to watch, and it's also caused me to think, it, if I was living at that time, what would I have done? Would I have advocated, or would I have just stayed in the wilderness and been passive? You know, it's, it's complicated, and it's challenging. But um, out of the Holocaust, um, I guess one of my kind of heroes of faith is a, uh, a theologian named Martin Niemöller, 
Um, he was a pastor and a theologian throughout those years in Nazi Germany. And after the war, he became a real advocate for peace and did a lot of things toward, um, toward making peace in our world through a biblical lens. This is what he wrote. They came for the Jews, but I'm not a Jew, so I didn't speak out. They came for the communists, but I'm not a communist, so I didn't say anything. They came for the socialists, but I wasn't a socialist, so I was silent. They came for the union leaders, but you know, I wasn't part of the labor uh, movement, so I didn't say anything. And then they came for me, and there was nobody left to say anything. And he lived the rest of his life with the regret of how passive he was. It's our time, church. When we look back, what will we see? What will we say? I pray that this will be a generation where God's love and God's grace and God's compassion and God's justice and God's truth would, would shine like a beacon through the church among our neighbors in the nations of the world. May we be a people who have loving, respectful courage for whatever it is that God is calling us to. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.